All right, guys, welcome back to the Business Shift podcast. Guys, today, our guest is a social media strategist, coach, and author. She's worked with over 500 students and clients across the world, helping them grow their business through the power of social media. Her signature program, the Dishing Up Digital School, helps people start their own social media management businesses so they can have more freedom in their lives. She also just published her new book, B-I-T-C-H Power, A Woman's Guide to Shattering Glass Ceilings, Buildings and Empires, Making Money and Changing the World. So before I welcome her on, let's cue the intro and then we'll welcome to the show, Ellen McKenzie. All right, let's cue that intro. Welcome to The Business Shift, the podcast for online entrepreneurs who are focused on making the shift to business owners. We talk about what it takes to build and grow a thriving digital empire and the transition required as you grow. This is a shift I chose to make in my own business, your client success, and one you'll want to consider making as you grow from solopreneur to business owner. Please share and enjoy. All right. Welcome to the show. Yes. You can see me like bobbing my head to the intro. Like, yes. I know, right? (laughs) That's music. I'm like, I want a vibe here where we're just grooving why it's going. So I love it. I love it. Okay. I've got so many questions. So let's dive into the first one. Let's dive into what your business is now and why you decided to start it. Yeah, love it. So my business, I always describe has a bit of a 50-50 split. The Mm. first half of my business, which is where I started, was social media management. So I have what I call a boutique marketing agency, which is just code for small agency. (laughs) And that is where I work with clients one-to-one helping with their social media. Specifically, my zone of genius has always been Instagram. And I started that as a side hustle in 2019. And 2020, Uh, right before the pandemic was when I decided to go full-time into that as you know a a full-time business so that was quite the journey of my first year in business going through all of COVID but the exciting thing was seeing how much my business actually grew out the other side of that and I don't think there's many businesses in that privileged position to actually say hey COVID helped my business and I grew and I you know increased my my client base by a lot, uh, almost doubled it coming out the other side of lockdown. So that was really cool. And through that, I also saw, you know, the increased demand for social media managers. Uh, My background is actually in print media. I used to be a journalist working in magazines. And in that world, everything is so competitive, right? It's all about who can scoop the story, who gets the best headline. And it's naturally so competitive because it is, you know, there's there's not a huge amount of money in in the print magazine world anymore. So for me coming into social media management, it was really interesting because there's this abundance of clients everywhere. Uh, There is a huge huge demand for social media managers. And I was like, oh, hey, I can be friends with my competition. Like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And that was when I launched the second arm of my business, which is the Dishing Up Digital School. And that is a program teaching people how they can become social media managers themselves. And yeah, that's what I do now. I also wrote a book because why not adding more more, more things to my plate? <laughs> right. That's what we do. We just one thing after the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, a classic entrepreneur.
entrepreneur never ends. Like I have a new business idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's amazing. So lots of things to unpack. There are lots of really interesting things. So what is probably your main focus? Would you say the digital, the digital school is your main focus and getting people there? Yeah, I think the the thing about selling online courses and for those of you who are interested in passive income and that kind of vision, once you get a taste of it, you can't help but fall in love. And it really aligns for my overall goals of traveling more, having a freedom business. And I had the option to go down the path of building a big agency. You know, I got up to the point where I had 15 clients in yeah. a, a month. And I was bringing in more and more contractors. And for me, when I looked at it, I was like, I don't want to just be a manager. Like, I like doing the creative work. Uh, that's really fulfilling for me. I don't want to scale to have this giant office with, you know, 12 team members on payroll. And that was when I stepped back and started looking at the courses because I was like, cool, I want to scale my income, but I don't want to increase my client load. Yeah. Um, I want to, you know, see what else is out there. So for me, it's about a 60-40 split with the courses being the 60%. So it is a little bit the majority and there's so much scalability there as well. So it is definitely yeah. a focus for me versus my social media management services. Like that's pretty much always fully booked, which I'm very right. grateful for. That's amazing. Okay. I love it. So definitely lots of experience there. And so here on this pod podcast specifically, we talk about differences between what it means to be a solopreneur versus a business owner, because mm -hmm. I see a lot of people using that term interchangeably and they use a um, kind of the umbrella term of entrepreneur to kind of encapture both of those. So I'd love to know if you think there's a difference between being a solopreneur um, versus a business owner. And if you think there's a difference, what is that difference? Yeah, I love that question because it is an interesting one. I think people throw around the word entrepreneur a lot these days and everyone has their different feelings. Everyone has their different de definition. And I'm always really passionate to believe that anyone can be an entrepreneur. And the moment you start a business, you start a side hustle. To me, I'm like, you are an entrepreneur. Own right. that. That's freaking incredible. Welcome to the journey. But I do think there is a point where you kind of step into the business owner, the yeah. CEO. And for me, I started as the solopreneur. I was proudly an entrepreneur. I was proud to start my business. But it came to a time where I was like, I can't do all of this on my own. If I want to keep growing, I need a team around me. And for me, that was the, the shift for me in terms of going from a, a solopreneur to a business owner to an, you know, that next level entrepreneur, it was for me hiring a team and bringing in uh, more systems to my business instead of kind of just scrapping along and figuring right. it out as I went. It was investing in the tech, the software, bringing in, um, in my team, it's still very small. I have my podcast editor who also helps with community management with my uh, social media clients. Yeah. Then I also have a content writer who helps with client work and also uh, writing my emails. And then I have a video editor who helps with the YouTube channel. So there's like nice. a few little contract roles. And again, that's me designing the life that I want to live. I don't want to have full-time employees. I don't want right. that stress or pressure, but that right. was definitely a shift I noticed when I was like, oh, okay. I actually have to be a manager now. I have to look after people. I have to, you know, not do everything myself and let yeah. some pieces of the business go. Yeah. So how are you able to actually like do that? Because I see a lot of people, they go, I don't, how could I ever let anybody else like trust <laughs> yeah. and do my business work, especially when you're doing like agency work where you're like 
in it and you're delivering on that. Um, like, have you outsourced that yet? Has that been a shift that you've made? Because mm. I know the control factor is a big thing. Definitely. I know so many people listening will relate to this. I know I was in those shoes as well. It's like your business is your baby and you yes. don't want to just give your baby away to anyone. Right. So, you're like, please take care of it. Yes. <laughs> and there'll be all these conditions. It's like, so my baby has this type of milk and this is his favorite <laughs> blanket. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, for me hiring, it was a bit of trial and error. So yeah. hiring my first virtual assistant, it didn't really work out. Mm. I made I don't want to say it's the mistake because sometimes it works for some people, but I decided I wanted to go for the cheapest person and, mm -hmm. and then train them up. I was like, this is going to work well for me. I'm going to bring in some young talent and I'll teach them what they need to know. And it was a lot of work and mm -hmm. it made more work for myself when I was looking to offload <laughs> extra work. Yes. And what I really learned from that and my journey of hiring, I've probably had maybe about three different kind of virtual assistants in the past two, three, three years now. Gosh, 2023, keep up, yeah. Ellen. And it's crazy to me too. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's wild. But yeah, in that journey, there's been definitely a couple of people that have come and go as I've tried to find the right person. And for me, I think when it comes to letting go of that piece of your business, it's finding the right person and investing in the right person. So for me, mm -hmm. it wasn't hiring the cheapest person. The last two times I've hired people, I've actually ended up hiring like the person that charges the most, which I think right. is really good for other entrepreneurs to hear because they think they have to be the cheapest in order to book the, book the job. Right. And that's not always the case. For me, I was like, I'm willing to pay for someone who can come in, who understands my vision, who really connects with me and the way that I do things. I mean, the way that I do social media management is, is different to a lot of people. Like mine yeah. is very hands-on. I don't schedule posts and disappear. Like everything right. is done manually. I'm in the, in the client's account, in the app. Um, yeah. I'm not using later or Planoly or Hootsuite, any of those scheduling softwares. So yeah. I had to find team members that aligned with that vision and understood what I wanted to do as well. Right. So did you have any kind of like screening process that you used in order to find the right people that were good, like culture fits for your company? Yeah, I was actually quite lucky in that I have a friend who works in HR. Mm. So I'd had like two, two rounds of people that I'd kind of just sourced from my own community. So I put posts up on my Instagram and some Facebook communities and was like, hey, I'm looking for someone. And that was how I hired the first two people I looked for. Yeah. And eventually I was like, okay, I want someone who's going to be a bigger role in the company, um, who can work with me long term, who's the perfect fit. So I was like, let's properly list a job. Like in New Zealand, we have Seek. I don't know if everyone else has it, but it's like a big job listing place. Like anytime you're applying yeah. for a job, you're probably going through Seek. Right. And I talked to my friend in HR and she was like, okay, well, you've got to have some proper questions, you know, some screening tips for you. Right. And her advice, which I really love and I still share with a lot of other people um, in my sort of business circles, is come up with three non-negotiables. So three mm -hmm. things that your dream candidate has to have. So for me, it was as simple as like at the time I was living in Wellington, New Zealand, and I wanted someone who lived close by. So I had the option that we could do um, meetings and stuff in person and I could have someone who could actually come out and help in the my studio or the office or whatever. Right. And my second conditional was like I wanted someone who was really creative and could be creative on their own. So with yeah. that, when it came to interviewing, I put people on the spot and gave them a client brief and was like, so I have this client. This is what they sell. What content would you create? 
and yeah. really kind of push them to see like, okay, how can they be creative and come up with content without me having to hold their hand? Because that was my experience previously. And I can't actually mm. remember the third conditional, but <laughs> you're like, those are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So think about your top three things. Yeah. And I think it's important not to settle when you're building your team and right. finding someone to look after your baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, those are so good. I love that that idea of creating those like three like non-negotiables and then being super strict with that and finding cool ways to test the people that you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Okay. So looking back now, um, what advice would you give to somebody who is kind of in that place of like, oh, I want to, I want to grow a team, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just a small team, like how would you recommend they start to make that transition from solopreneur to business owner? The key tip for me is to take the plunge before you feel ready. Mm -hmm. That was the best thing that I did. I was the point I was at in my business is I was hovering around like the seven K mark New Zealand a month. So maybe maybe it's like five thousand USD a month. And yeah. I couldn't get any further. I was working, I was working, I was pushing, I was pushing. I was like, I just want to hit a 10K month and I can't yeah. freaking get there. So I took the plunge and I hired, that was my second contractor after my first virtual assistant didn't work out. And I kind of scrapped that and I was regrouping for a few months. And I ended up hiring one of my old colleagues who I used to work with in magazines as a content writer. Mm -hmm. And that just clicked. Suddenly it was like, oh my God, this is actually what I need in my business. This is where I need the support. I don't need someone to answer my emails or do my accounting. I need content support and I need someone who's a skilled writer who can just like work and uh, I can trust them. And yeah. the month after I hired them, I hit a, my first 10K month. And that's always wild to me. Like you take that risk. Like technically I was probably at some point paying her probably more than I was paying myself. Right. Right. And that's a very common thing when I talk to other coaches, you know, I know a coach who has like a, a multi seven figure business and she was the same story. Her first hire, she paid more than she paid herself. And sometimes right. you have to do that again, that's stepping into the CEO, the, the entrepreneur, the head of the business role. You mm -hmm. have to make these decisions. And I always say to my students or my coaching clients is hire before you're ready. You're going to be scared. You're going to have to take that plunge. Maybe you're going to have to reshuffle your finances that month to be able to account for this new expense. And it's a scary thing. It's really hard to do, but I've never regretted it. It's been, yeah. you know, that pivotal change. And again, it was like last year when I brought in the the second kind of more permanent contractor into my business. Yeah. Um, that was when I was able to get to my next milestone, which was 20K months. And it's yeah. no coincidence that anytime I hire that right person, it makes a difference to my income. It's just a little bit of a lag time sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it takes that time to like get them into the business and train mm. them and make sure that they're all good to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, okay. I love that. That that's so great. And so when it comes to really like creating that, that culture that you can find people who are the right fit, how did you get clear on your why for the business and have that reflect into your, your business and with the people that you hire? Mm, that's such a great question. And I think I always say your why and your passion is so important because it keeps you motivated in the yeah. tough times. You have to remember why you started it. And I think ultimately for me, I came from a corporate world where I had to be at my desk from eight till, you know, six. I remember yeah. vividly one day I left at 5.30 on deadline day in the magazine, which is when we go to print. I'd finished my sections of the magazine. They were literally already gone to the printers. So I left at 5.30. There was nothing for me to do. And after I left, another colleague told me that one of my managers 
absolutely ripped into me for daring to leave before 6 p.m. on deadline day. And I was mortified because I'm such a people pleaser and I was so good at my job. I was so dedicated. And to hear that someone had been a manager had been slagging me off to the rest of my team. I just absolutely broke down, was crying. And that was a moment where I was like, I need to get out of this place. I need to create something that is mine. I have the talent and the skill and I believe I can do it. So that was one of the founding things of my business, freedom, flexibility, and actually enjoying life. So when I went to hire people, I kind of used that as my selling point, right? Mm. (laughs) As to be like, hey, flexible hours. Like you, I want you to work eight hours a week. But if you want to do that at 9 a.m. on a Monday and smash it all out and then go on holiday or go hang out with your kids, or if mm-hmm. you want to do that at 10 p.m. at night, <laughs> you do you. Like That's that. you. Yeah. And I really wanted people who connected with that vision. And often when I hire people, it's also people who have left the corporate world. Or one of my contractors is a mum who used to work in the, the travel industry during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, working at a travel agency and had to completely retrain and became a graphic designer after COVID. And like, wow. I loved that. Like, we really connected on that level of someone who was like, hey, I have a family. They're really important to me. Um, but also, like, I, I could see already as someone who had pivoted and made a change in her life and, you know, also had that scrappy energy of like, I'm going right. to make this work. Like, this shit is gone. This shit is the fam but we're right. going to work yeah. yeah so I think just being like really honest and open about what your company vision is and I personally feel if you get on a zoom call with someone you can tell if they're being honest you can tell if they value and appreciate that or if they're just here to make a quick buck or if they're here to kind right. of use you to go to the next step um, I think you can see that yeah yeah I 100% agree I love that I love that advice and I think that that's really important to consider when bringing people on is that they're going to be attracted to your message and to why you are doing your thing. And so it's important to be clear on that. So Mm. I love that. Okay. I want to talk about your book. So why can you tell us a little bit about it? And then why did you decide to write a book and take that, that project? Cause it's a project on. Yeah. It is kind of funny when you look at me being a social media strategist and Everyone kind of expected when I said, I'm going to write a book, they expected a book on marketing, right? Like this is the right. marketing girl. This is the Instagram queen or the Instagram fairy godmother is my like nickname. <laughs> I love that. And I kind of threw a curveball when I was like, actually, I'm going to write something about entrepreneurship. And the book is called BITCH Power. And the idea is it's written for women, both in the workforce and in the world of business to try help them step up into their power, to step into the role of a leader and to be more confident, to believe in themselves. Because I've worked with so many clients, so many students. And for me, all roads lead back to confidence. Whenever yeah. they have an issue, like, I don't want to film this reel to promote this product, it it suddenly comes back to them not feeling confident enough. They're not feeling like they can show up on social media because they're worried about the hair or what other people think. And that is at the root of so many people's problem. And I am just so passionate about that coming from someone who used to be so insecure, who Mm. would never have been able to sit here and do a podcast interview, let alone write a book and, you know, talk about how proud she is of that book. I was so shy. And seeing how much my life changed when I started to believe in myself, when I started to step into my power, which was always within me, it was just a matter of unlocking it. That was a game changer for for my business, for my life. And I wanted to help other women do that. Because I do think, you know, for, for decades now, we have been showed the stereotype of success and the stereotype of what leadership is from a male perspective. 
And when you look at the numbers of how many women are in as CEOs of those top companies, I think with the S&P 500, there's only 41 female CEOs out of those 500 companies. Like the stats aren't there. Like we are still in that minority. And then you think about, you know, other people who have double minorities, you know, people of color, uh, people with physical disabilities, like all of those other layers, they're even further down the percentage of how many leaders that they have in the world. So you can tell by the way I talk about it, I can talk about this for so long. It's something that I'm hugely passionate about. Um, And I love marketing, but I also think there's that bigger picture of entrepreneurship and the book title itself is an acronym so each letter of the word bitch breaks down into an important um part of uh how to be a successful leader and how to be a powerful woman so again there's that kind of meta feeling of we're taking a word that was used to insult us and we're actually going to turn it into this really awesome framework to help us Mm. be better leaders and more powerful women and change the statistics. Oh, I love that. And I, I have that as a question to get into that framework, but I, I'm curious to know, um, the process of getting that book to actually come into reality Mm. because that's a whole, a whole nother thing. You can have the idea of like, Oh, that'd be really cool to write a book, but then actually like getting it in front of you. I can't even imagine how great that feeling was to like actually have a copy, like a physical copy of it. And so can you just tell me about that process and, and how good it felt to get to the end of that, where you have it now sitting in front of you and you can like read it. Yeah. I have a few copies on like the bookcase behind <laughs> me. And it's, it's one of those things that I even put some copies of my book, like in the living room, like I live with my partner and I was like, I just want to have these I here. love it. It's <laughs> freaking cool. And I think the unfortunate thing for me was by the time I finished my book, I was pretty burnt out. So a yeah. lot of it kind of like went over my head, the achievement of what it was. Right. So I'm now in the process of kind of recentering and be like, damn, I'm proud of myself, which yeah. is really awesome. And that's why I was so excited to kind of come on your podcast and talk about that as well, because it is a milestone yeah. for me. But right. the whole process, uh, to give you some insight there, I did self-publish. I decided to go down that route. I didn't want to wait around for a publisher to pick me. I mm-hmm. said, I wanted to pick myself that's what I, the line that I always come back to which I think is an important message in the book so it was yep. very again important for me to practice what I pay right, what I preach yep. and yeah the whole process was about a year of planning research writing and then executing to kind of publish and go live on Amazon so right. it was a long process I treated it like a side hustle to my business yeah. almost I'd have like a certain day of the week that I would be writing I had some writing retreats that I kind of made up at home and I was like did this week is just going to be writing I love and it yeah I had my sister design the book cover I had a friend proofread it so it was very much a, a little bit scrappy a little bit just pieced together learning as I went and it was yeah. a big challenge but for anyone who has that same dream of, yeah, I want to write a book one day. I think it's just evidence you can make that one day a reality and you can just write the damn thing. You can just right. go for it with, with t- technology today and the access we have to Amazon and their self-publishing program. It really is amazing. Yeah, I love that. So what was probably some of the biggest things that you learned about yourself when going through that process of getting that book published? Mm. I realized I don't cope as much with the new things and change as I, I thought I did. <laughs> mm. I think I, I I was comfortable in my little social media world. You know, I've been doing that for four years now yeah. and I know what I'm doing. I've got things sussed. Even when, you know, I dive into online courses and promoting that, I still feel quite comfortable in that zone of the online world. So it was really pushing myself outside of my comfort zone to then yeah. be like, okay, 
we're going to write a book. And I was like, how the hell do I format a book? <laughs> right. I'm like, what is InDesign? How do I use this? And then we had all of these dramas where like I submitted it to Amazon and they were like, thank you for this. This is going to take five days to process. And I was like, oh, what do you mean it's going to take five days to process? Days, like my yeah. publishing date is in three days. So like yeah. all of these lessons. And that was also why I was so burnt out at the end of it. Cause I was like, wow, I really pushed myself outside my comfort zone and yeah, did something yeah completely opposite to the world of social media and you know I think it is important to challenge ourselves to do different things and you survive you come out the other end (laughs) yeah nice and alive with a beautiful book that you can hold in your hands yes exactly (laughs) awesome okay so I want to talk about like the content of the book a little bit um what does it mean to you to be a powerful woman Mm, oh, that is such a strong question. It's funny because I'm going deep. <laughs> yeah, you're going deep. You're going for it. It's funny when you say that. I almost like have this urge to like hide away. And I think mm. the aspect of writing the book was also a lesson for me on how to yeah. become a powerful woman. Because I'm the cliche of like I'm so good at telling other people what to do and how to run their yeah. business, and then it's really hard to do that for yourself, right? Right. Yeah. So I think I think especially for women, we do have this. Uh, kind of default setting where we kind of hide away a little bit and I know I came from a past relationship where I was terrified to outshine my partner and that is a big chapter in the book you know being the female breadwinner and you know this need we have to like always be one step behind you know the male partner or the male breadwinner in the house and I think for me being a powerful woman is just opening up that conversation and actually just claiming what you want. So for me being like, I want to be a best-selling author. Let's freaking go. Let's go do it. Let's put that on the world. Let's tell people what we're doing. And you can be a powerful woman and you can still be, you know, struggling with imposter syndrome. It doesn't magically go away. Um, But yeah, to me, a powerful woman is probably I'm a work in progress, but I'm gunning for it. And I'm not letting anyone stop me from getting what I want and getting what I deserve. Amazing. Oh, chills, chills. So, okay. Can you talk to me about the B-I-T-C-H framework? So I look, I I saw in the kind of like your book description, right? Belief, identity, talk, talk, care, habits. So can you tell me a little bit about each section and how that lead you to really embracing uh, what it means to be a powerful woman? Yes, absolutely. So I started with B and for me, it was so obvious, like belief was the the first section of the book. And that was where I really talked about self-confidence, self-love, imposter syndrome, fear of failure, because for me, it is the, the foundations. If you start a business and you haven't done the inner work to really love yourself and believe in your value, the first challenge in your business, the first hurdle that you face, you're going to fail and you're going to turn around and you're going to go home and be like, well, well this entrepreneurship thing, it, it ain't for me. And the truth <laughs> is, and like you can get out to this, right? You're going to have challenges every single week. Something's going to go wrong. Things are going to happen. And you need to do that foundational work. So that chapter for me, I mean, that section of the book, I always say like, this one's my favorite. And I'm like, no, this one's my favorite. <laughs> but it definitely is the um, foundation. And then identity comes back to what we've been talking about today around your purpose, your vision, your why, what is the the bigger picture, your driver, what's your definition of success. And then that kind of goes into talk the talk, which is kind of executing that. So it's how to get 
you know, the education and the skills, improve your skills, like the gender skill, skill gap is another very real statistic around women not having the same skill level as men. And we're trying to catch up, play catch up. Um, and also just having the, the confidence to speak up using the power of your voice is another big thing. Once you do Mm -hmm. that inner work, you find your purpose, your why you then need to start voicing that. Um, and again, for, for C is, again, I'm just one of my favorite sections, <laughs> uh, that really leans into our unique qualities as women, you know, yeah. the stereotype that we are too emotional, that we care too much. I've flipped that yeah. on its head and been like, actually, this is one of the key things to be a successful leader is actually to have emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. And here are the facts, like here are the prime female prime ministers that have performed or outperformed their male counterparts or whatever um and then also looking at hormones like how to work with your hormones for so long Mm. we've been told to hide our periods Ooh, that's gross and school you know when they do your lessons on health and whatever they separate the boys and girls because god forbid the boys have to hear about periods (laughs) right right and yeah it's really breaking down those kind of stigmas and looking at your unique powers and how you can use that linking back to your power your purpose your definition of success how you can use these unique female things that we have been told for so long are a disadvantage it's time to look at them as an advantage and then the final chapter or the final section that rounds it out is looking at habits so it's looking at your routines um probably i'm gonna say my least favorite chapter because i'm not good at that kind of stuff which is why i needed to write the book on it and learn right uh, because i do know creating healthy habits and good habits as a as a business owner is really important as well um, yeah, and that's that's a bit of an outline on the book. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, everybody needs to go and get this book. Um, so, what are the first steps that you can do that someone can do to start applying this framework into their lives as a business owner? Mm. I think having a really good think about what we've discussed today on your why. what reason why you've started your business because that again like I said earlier that motivates you when things go wrong when things go off course so having a brainstorm like sit down with a notebook and really get into the words like I I think there's something powerful about an old school pen and paper again you wouldn't expect that from the social media girl (laughs) but you know honor yourself and have that time to really think about the vision to plan, to goal set, to think about your why, because that is that is your goals. That is what you need to come back to as a business owner. And yeah. then just start challenging yourself every day to, to step up and honor that vision, to be like, okay, what can I do today that's going to further this vision I have for my business, for my success? It's not about, you know, those little negative thoughts in my head that are saying I'm not good enough, that have imposter syndrome, that are scared of failing. How can we push through that? Just one little thing every day. And all of those small actions are going to start to build into something really powerful. Oh man, I, that, that's so, so good. So many good actionable steps that you can take right now to really start to embody this and really bring this into your life. So, um, one last question for you, and this is diving deep onto the social media side of things. Cause I do want to hear from you on that is how does a business owner approach social media different than a solopreneur? Hmm controversial opinion I feel like it could be quite similar the approach okay okay and this is where I think a lot of businesses are really missing out on social media especially what it's become today in 2023 people love 
the authentic energy of social media. It's no longer about having the perfect feed. It's no longer about this perfect curation of, you know, the, the professional photo that's being shot by this excellent photographer. And obviously there's still a place for that if you're a photographer listening to this, but I want to see the business owner like and their day-to-day tasks. Like I want to see the behind the scenes. I want to get to know them. And immediately what comes to mind for me is um, Shopo, the clothing website. Mm -hmm. They are someone that has absolutely taken off on TikTok. And that is like a multi-million dollar. I think they actually did half a million dollars in the last financial year of, of revenue. So a huge clothing company. Their CEO is out there like dancing and filming TikToks. And I freaking love it. Like yeah. I think she is obviously a very successful woman and has a lot of right. things she could be doing with her time. But she makes the effort to get in with her marketing team, film some fun videos, film little snippets of her day as well. And people yeah. really resonate to that. And I think it's, you know, proof that when we're having this discussion, she immediately comes to mind. Like I could talk about my clients and <laughs> the work that we do, but immediately I'm like, oh, Shopo. Right. And that is powerful when you're selling a product, you're selling a service, staying top of mind, creating that connection with the customer is really key on social. So I think a lot of business owners and CEOs have to get off their high horse a little bit. And instead of entirely outsourcing their social media, they need to either be like running it themselves or just collaborating with their social media managers, with their marketing team, with their virtual assistants and being involved in the content creation process because yeah. I think that's where you really see results and, and really reap the rewards of social media. Amazing. That That's super clear. And I think that that's a great breakdown of that. So I just appreciate all of this. This has been a fantastic podcast. So where can people go if they want to learn how to do social media, if they want to connect with you, where can they go to find you and where can they go to get your book? Yeah. So the book is available, as I said, on Amazon. I am self-published, so you can't unfortunately go down to like Barnes and Nobler and and buy a copy. (laughs) We are on Amazon. Um, And you can also find me hanging out on all of the social platforms. You can find me on Instagram at Ellen McKenzie, which is spelled with an E. I just have a Kiwi accent. So we pronounce E's like A's, which can be very confusing. (laughs) But E-L-L-E-N-Z, can't even spell my name though. Ellen McKenzie on Instagram, on TikTok. You can also find me on YouTube. I also have a podcast, Dishing Up Digital as well, where I talk more about social media strategy. Oh, I love it. Okay, awesome. Any last things that you want to add before we finish up for today? No, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I always say I used to be that girl stuck in her corporate job listening to podcasts like this on the bus home, being like, oh my gosh, I need to do something like this. So I just think it's fantastic what you're doing and the message you're spreading. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I truly, truly appreciate your time. Let's go ahead and cue the outro. Thanks for listening to The Business Shift, where we chat about no-nonsense insights and strategies to help you transform your online business into a successful empire. If you or someone you know is an online business owner and are looking to increase the retention and ascension of their programs and outsource their fulfillment, I would love to connect. You can connect with us at yourclientsuccess.com. Until next time, keep shifting your business towards success.